0: Let us pray. May the words of my lips and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you please be seated? At some point in our lives, all of us have made the claim that life is complicated. You could think about trying to explain a nuanced decision to someone that maybe doesn't understand how you got to the conclusion you did. You could look at them saying, "Well, there's a lot going on here. There's there's a lot to consider. It's it's a complicated situation." Or when we think of how we might explain why bad things happen to a good person, we would say something like, "Well, things don't always go the way we expect or that we think they should, and that's life." It's complicated. Life is complicated. It just is. There's a piece of that that I really appreciate because not everything is straightforward. Life is a whole lot more interesting. I personally enjoy trying to wrap my head around complicated issues and, and ideas in the hope of, of figuring them out. And yet, as much as I like those things, there are also plenty of times, usually when I'm tired or Kind of at my wits end when I think it would be really nice if things were just a little bit simpler. Just a little bit more straightforward. It's often how we can think about the faith, isn't it? On the one hand, being a Christian is complicated. God is greater than we could ever begin to contemplate. And so we will never actually plumb the depths of all that is good and true and beautiful. And yet, there's something also wonderfully simple about the faith. At its core, the message is really straightforward. It's what we've seen throughout Romans, really. It's incredibly deep and rich theologically, but with a very simple through line. And sandwiched between two very challenging and heady chapters, Romans 10 is a pivot back to the simple. And no, I did not plan my vacation around not having to deal with Romans 9, in case anyone was thinking that. I already had to convince Pastor Josiah of that. I can say that since he's not here today. This is exactly how a good teacher works, right? They give you something difficult that you struggle with, and had a work your way through and grow through, but then they say, all right, now let's go back. Let's make sure we haven't lost the plot. What's the core problem and how has it been solved? Well, that's what Romans 10 is, and so that's what we're going to do this morning. We'll address the straightforward truth that by faith in Christ and Him alone, the problem of sin is solved and salvation can be found for all. Then we will look... And how that simple confession compels the people of God to act. And then finally, understanding that life is complicated, we will grapple with the truth that while the solution is simple, not all will receive it. So let's get started here by making sure our foundation is right. What is the simple answer that Christianity provides? Well, it's actually found in what I believe is the first Bible verse that I ever memorized. Admittedly, my scripture memorization needs a ton of work, but this is one that just kind of stuck with me. It's Romans chapter 10, verse 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Pretty simple, huh? Pretty straightforward. If you're a Christian seeking to follow Jesus faithfully... As simple as that statement is, you're probably going to be spending a lot of your life trying to plumb the depths of just how incredible and how deep that very simple verse is. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's really that simple. And we know it is because... Paul actually tells us it's that simple for every single one of us. What does he say right after this verse? For the scriptures say, everyone who believe in him will be saved. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. There's no special work for you to do because you have a particular sin in your life. There's no extra work that you have to do because you didn't grow up in a Christian home or a Christian environment. No, the, the same simple confession is the same for all of us. All who faithfully profess that Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead, they're saved. so simple and yet so very deep what does this verse tell us it it acknowledges that all sin and fall short of the glory of God the all in this statement that includes you and me and so you and me all of us here we need a savior it also acknowledges that left to our own devices in other words left without a Lord we would keep living For the sin that we have lived for. We need a Lord to show us and to help us follow after him. And it acknowledges that at the heart of it all, the thing that made it all happen, is the resurrection of Christ. Without the resurrection, Jesus is simply another dead, failed leader. Like so many before and so many after. But because he is risen and alive, sin has been overcome and death has been conquered. It is the evidence that God himself has come among us to be the Savior and Lord that every single one of us need. Like all of Scripture, this is a very simple yet remarkably deep verse. But don't mistake the simplicity for a lack of importance. We can do that sometimes. If it's simple and easy, it must not really matter, right? It's only the deep things. They're the ones that really matter. No, 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 (laughs) no. To help us see how important this very simple confession is and what it's really saying, Paul is actually building on a crucial moment in the history of Israel. That's what this first section is actually coming from. It's Deuteronomy 30, where the Israelites are getting ready to settle in the promised land. Moses has been teaching them about the law of God, and he puts then before them what he calls the path of life and the path of death. The path of death is to reject God in living his way. The path of life is to follow him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. To follow God is to find life. To reject Him is to remain in death. And Moses brings that to a head by telling them in this crucial moment that following the law is actually not too hard for them. Because as he says in Deuteronomy 30, verse 14, the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. So, the temptation then is to hear that and think, all right, I got this. I can follow God. I know the path that He wants me to go down. I'm just going to do it now. I will follow Him. No problem. I got it. All right, well, hang on a second here. Because that verse that I just quoted from Deuteronomy, that should sound kind of familiar to us. Jump back to Romans 10 for a minute. And we find Paul quoting these same words. In verse 8, before he gets to that beautiful, simple truth, he quotes and alludes to Deuteronomy 30. What he's doing here is taking what Moses applied to the law and applying it to Jesus. What does he say? The word has come near to you. The word has come near to you. The point that he is making here is you would have no idea what it is to follow God unless God has come near to you. You would have no idea what it means to have a savior unless a savior came for you. And so no, this isn't about what you're doing because there was nothing you could do unless he came to you. It's exactly what happened, right? Jesus Christ, the one that John calls the word of God, he came. He drew near to us, and in doing so, he has shown us how we might be saved by confessing him as Lord and believing in our hearts that he is alive today because God has risen, raised him from the dead. And so we don't need to pull ourselves up to heaven to go searching for God or to go plumb the depths of hell to see if he might be there in some sort of futile attempt to find where he might be. We don't need to do any of that. He's drawn near to us. He came to us. He did the work for us. And so what we need to do is confess Him. And all who do confess Him are justified by Him and made His. Right after this simple confession, Paul explains just how incredible it is. He says, for with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Justified and saved. It's far simpler than we like to think it is, and yet it is that simplicity that we need. Now, if that is true... If salvation is found in confessing Jesus as Lord and Savior, then that means the church has a work to do. At this point, you might be thinking, hang on a minute. You've just told me today, and I don't know how many times, actually, I've probably lost count how many times I've actually said this, that salvation isn't about any work that we do. That salvation is about Jesus and what he's done and by his grace faith in Him. So why are you now telling me about the church having a work to do? Well, we do have a work to do. A work that is compelled by the truth that Jesus alone saves and that salvation is found in confessing Him and not through any work of our hands. You see, the church is not called to the work of trying to attain salvation. She is called to the work of proclaiming it. We are compelled as Christians to take the soul-saving message of Jesus to the world. For if it is by him and him alone that one is saved, and salvation comes to any and all who confess him and believe in him as risen Lord and Savior, how can the church possibly keep quiet about it? To do so is to either confess by our actions or lack thereof that we actually don't believe the gospel is that big a deal, That people don't actually need it. Or, alternatively, it's to confess that we don't value the non-believer enough to present them with the one thing that could actually save them. It's like seeing a famine victim, knowing that you have all the food that they could ever need, and then not giving it to them. But this is exactly what the church does. Every single time we believe the lie that religion should be kept private. You believe what you want, I'll believe what I want, it'll all come out in the wash. So many of us, so many around us, we, we, we act like, well, religion isn't for polite conversation and, and, and I want to be liked and so I'm just going to zip it up. Hear then the words of Paul this morning. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone speaking? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? He is speaking here about the work that we are called to do. He's speaking about us and the incredible gift that we have been given, not to hoard for ourselves, but to freely extend to any and all. Preach the gospel is what he's saying. You want to know what to do as a Christian? Preach the gospel. Preach the truth that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Because of what God has done for you, because God in Christ Jesus has drawn near to you, he has made himself known and done the work of atoning for our sins so that you too, even, yes, you can be made his forever. If that is what we believe to be true, and I hope it is, how can we keep silent about it? The church, in the wisdom of God, has been entrusted with the most important message that has ever existed. How can we not share? How can we keep silent? The church's work is to witness to the saving truth of Jesus Christ and to do so faithfully. And so we have work to do, yes, even us, right here in this place. We live in what's called a post-Christian nation. The people around us have no idea what the gospel truly is. None whatsoever. This idea that there's just a whole bunch of Christians out there that just happen to not go to church doesn't exist anymore, friends. Go and talk to a non-believer about what they think the gospel is. I guarantee you it won't be the gospel. I guarantee you. People have no idea what it is because you know what? The church has not done her job. We have not witnessed faithfully. We've softened the gospel at times to make it more palatable. We changed the church to make it more modern and relevant In thought, word, and deed, the church has done everything she could to make herself look more and act more like the world. And then we Christians are surprised when no one takes the church seriously. Well, why would they? We get upset. I know I do. No, you do too, that so few people come to church anymore. So few people worship Jesus anymore. But why would they if all we've done is turn the gospel into just another message? Just another way to go about your life. You live it your way, I'll live it mine. We'll see who's right in the end. No, The gospel's right. Why would we change it? If we're not offering anything different than what the world is, why would anybody bother with us? the church is to fulfill her calling she must preach Jesus faithfully and fully the word of God himself has come among us he's given us his word in the scriptures and so the church and the bible is the place where he is going to be found and so we must speak for if we do not how on earth can the world possibly know that a savior has come for them Now, I get it. This is where the nervousness sets in, right? Because what some people this morning have now heard is that I've told them that they have to leave this place immediately following the service and find the nearest busy intersection they can and start preaching their face off. <laughs> right? We're all terrified now. I would be too. I'm not asking you to do that. The other thing we'll come up with is well, but, but people are going to have questions for me. And I'm not going to know every answer. Guess what, friends? Neither do I. Nobody does. But so far, I've seen that no one's ever lost ground by saying, yeah, I don't know the answer to that, but maybe we can find out together. I get the nerves, I do. Something that every Christian wrestles with. But what is our alternative? When I talk about speaking about Jesus, I don't mean that like, he has to be the, the point of every single sentence you say. Right? I don't mean that you have to beat all your non-believing friends and relatives over the head with the gospel until they never want to hear from you again. We use our our God-given, spirit-conformed wisdom so that when the opportunity to witness Jesus comes about, we take it. The funny thing about it is, for all the nerves, when we start witnessing to Jesus faithfully, you know what we find out? It's not something you dread. It brings joy. What does Paul tell us? Verse 15, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. It's good news we bring, friends. It is the beautiful news, the beautiful truth that God looked upon you and loved you so much that he was not content to leave you as you are. He was not okay with you remaining in sin and death, and so he acted on your behalf. Just think about how that message has impacted you. If that is what you believe, think about how the gospel has changed you. Why would you ever want to withhold that from someone? We've been given an incredible gift to give to the world. Speaking about Jesus brings joy to the heart. And so we must speak. And the truth is, friends, people are going to go looking for answers. People are looking for answers all around them. I'm seeing this all over the place now. I'm seeing it in particular with young men online. People are looking for answers because they look around and they see a broken world, as we've said throughout this entire series and before, right? They're looking out and seeing a world and a country that is not functioning the way that it should, and so they're looking for answers, And if the church will not speak, they're going to find answers. But they will not be good ones. They will find false gospels, just more warmed over cultural narratives of one stripe or another. But none of it will be the beautiful truth of Jesus Christ. It's why the church must speak. We have the joy of extending the truth to people. And then the joy of seeing people receive it. Have you ever seen someone be changed by the gospel? Either that moment they came to faith or when they're growing, it's as if you can see Jesus wrapping them in his robes of righteousness right there and then. And you know what the truth is? I've seen it in some of you in my time here. Some of you who have come to faith and others who have grown like crazy. You're different. I am different as I grow in faith. And it's a joy to see. It is a gift that is what we have to offer to the world, and so we must speak. The gospel is far simpler than we like to make it, and it is the simple truth that we are called to proclaim it. Last thing: we are to pro- It's always good when you get tongue-tied when you're trying to proclaim, huh? Last thing this morning: we are called to proclaim the gospel with eyes open. What do I mean by that? Well, we proclaim it knowing the truth that not all will receive it. It's just a fact. It's what Paul's talking about in verses 16 through 21. We can do everything right. We can faithfully witness. We can faithfully answer every single question. We'll be that one person who knows every answer. We can be humble in our approach. We can be wise with our words. And yet, some will still not confess Jesus as Lord and Savior. And it's because of what Paul makes clear in this last section, that some people are simply stubborn and under no circumstances will come to Jesus. None whatsoever. And so we need to understand that. Why? Because it frees us from thinking that it's us that saves them. It keeps us from the despair Some of you might know the despair that I'm talking about here. Of thinking that, well, if I had only said that right thing at that time, that would have been the thing. Or if I would only prayed for that person just a little bit more, then they would have gotten over the edge, right? It's not our job to save them. That's Jesus' job. Our job is to faithfully witness to the gospel. We leave the rest to Him. We need to understand that, yes, not all will be saved. And yet, that never stops us from doing what we are called to do. First of all, you don't know who is and who won't be, right? When people reject Christ, our posture is to be the same as that of our Father toward his people, Israel. Paul wrote, but of Israel, he says, all day long I held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. We, the church, the people of God, are to extend our hands to those who reject the gospel in the hope that one day they will lay aside their stubbornness and their disobedience and they will come to Jesus. As John Stott wrote, Like a parent inviting a child to come home offering a hug and a kiss and and promising a welcome, so God has opened and stretched out his arms to his people and has kept them continuously outstretched, All day long, pleading with them to return. That is the posture that the church is to have. Because while some might not be saved today, that does not mean they can't or won't be. And so we never lose hope. And we never stop extending our arms. As long as we have the gospel, there is hope. Because our salvation and the world's salvation has been brought by Christ. And so with simple faith, we proclaim the simple truth of Christ. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It really is that simple. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.